electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, life after the streak. As stocks pace to break that remarkable nine-week run, now the investment committee debates where the markets are likely to go from here. Most importantly, how you should play that. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, everybody in the house here at Post 9. Let's go to the markets. We still are green across the board, but as you see, we are not nearly as strong as we were hour, hour and a half ago or so. Uh, Jimmy, I, I turn to you first. So we're going to end this nine-week winning streak. It's the Nasdaq's worst week since September. You got the strong jobs report. Wages were slightly above. And then the ISM services was squirrely, was weak, barely hanging on to 50. Yeah. What do we do with this week? What do we learn this week? Um, first thing, in answer to the question about, you know, the eight-week streak, nine-week streak coming to an end, good, good, all right? Because we needed to come to an end, right? What are we going to keep going, 10, 11, et cetera? No, this is the pause that refreshes. And my take on this week, everybody, is that this is noise. This week, the downturn, the first three days, the upturn today, it's noise in what's going to be a very noisy year. I think it's going to be a very positive year. And I can't stress this point highly enough. The tone has changed from the last two years of how high is the Fed going to hike rates to now we're not talking about rate hikes. And I don't care. I'm looking at you, Scott, not that you're coming at me, but I'm just looking at you because I want to have a focal point. I want to have a focal point here, okay? I don't care. Just show us. I don't care how long it takes them to cut. I don't care how many times they cut. That's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. The fact is we're no longer talking about rate hikes. Why does this matter? It means that good news is good news. It means 200,000 jobs being created is good news. It means that, now listen, I'm not all that happy with a 4.1% wage growth year over year, but it's not going to provoke the Fed to start raising rates again. And absent that, it means it's good for consumption, which is good for the economy. Look, I don't like, I don't like the uh, ISM number, and I don't like uh, the, the way that labor force participation went down, but there's noise in every data series. I think we've got to strip out the signal from the noise, and right now the signal is inflation is coming down, the economy is strong, profits are growing, mm-hmm. and this should be a good year in the markets. All right, so Jenny, uh, my, my distillation from all of that is that Jim says the story's intact, right? He gave you all the reasons why he thinks it is, but that's what I take away from what he said. The soft landing, inflation down, economy good, stock market good stories intact after this week. I agree. I agree. And so while the story is intact, it doesn't mean necessarily that we have the right right now to go to new highs. And I don't think we do. I think when Jim said, you know, hey, we're backing off a little bit. Good. I agree. Good. It was too much too fast. And so what I know we'll get to later is we've taken some money off the table. And usually when I take money off the table, it's paired with the immediate buy, right? But right now, I don't think things need to pair. And so everything's not moving in tandem. The market got kind of frothy into year end. The story's intact for this year. I feel good about this year. I know within a month or so, I'll be back to fully invested. But right now, I'm sitting on a little cash. And I think that's 
I think that's okay. When I'm thinking about the story being intact too, I think the story gets better and better as the year goes on because we have all these nasty things that are going to be out of the way. We're going to know if it's six rate cuts, which I don't think it is, or three, or two, or none. We're going to know for sure. We're going to be done with the presidential election. We're going to have way more clarity on if inflation stays like a little sticky or if it's done. But this is a year where really like clarity comes in a way that we haven't experienced for the past four. And so I'm actually feeling not good in a raw, raw markets going to new highs way, but I'm feeling as good as I've felt in at least four years because as an investor, I can make decisions and invest and think about investments and think about forward cash flows in a functional way without distortions and disruptions in a way that I haven't been able to before. So, so to me, the investment picture is so, intact. So Jason, I'm watching yields and you know the market <clears throat> is clearly tracking where yields are, are going right. and reacting as such. I mean, the equity market, because if you have the 10 year, you know, you get the, the jobs report and rates move up a little bit and cut expectations go down a little right. bit. Then the ISM report comes out and rate cut expectations go back up. Interest rates, the 10 year yield comes down, but I'm watching the 10 year right at 4%. Yep. And the equity market is clearly a little uneasy about yep. where yields are ahead of the CPI next week. Fed meetings not for several weeks till the end of the month, but we right. have earnings too. What's your great takeaway and outlook for this year? Because we haven't heard from you, by the way. Happy New Year. It's Happy good to New see Year, you back. Man. Yeah. No. So what I would say is the, the biggest thing I paid attention to this week was the Fed minutes, right? So what was evident and, and very clear to me was, hey, look, we are pricing out a March cut. That's really what's going on in the market. And I think there's a fair amount of digestion as well. Listen, we ran a lot over the last nine weeks. Um, and, and to Jimmy's point, you know, it is time for a little bit of digestion going forward. There are a lot of variables that will affect the market. Um, we have earnings that are starting in earnest next Friday, this time next Friday, That's which right, I think with, is going to be the great. And by the way, I'm going to let you finish your comment, too. If we have rate cut expectations, if we guys can, in, in the control room, please, can we show that? It'll, it'll show you. If, if the Fed was trying to get the market to price out a March rate cut, um, today's economic data didn't do the job because, as I said, you know, jobs report comes in stronger, wages come in a little bit stronger, rate cut expectations actually go down a little bit. But then ISM comes in weak, and then you're going to see when we show it what happened next because you were, I don't know, hour and a half ago, you were like 70-plus percent for a March cut. So anyway, we'll show that. I want you to look at that. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no. please carry on with I think it's saying. an important point. But let's also pay attention to the dot plot. Dot plot, I mean, Jay Powell, Jerome Powell has talked about three cuts. He did not talk about six mm -hmm. cuts. The market's been pricing in six cuts. I mean, for, for a lot of us on this desk, I'm sure this seems a little bit out of this world, right? So the idea that we're also pricing out a March cut, um, you know, and, and kind of letting the market, let's let the market play out. Let's see what earnings do in earnest. We'll, we'll see what financials do. We're going to focus on credit, credit quality. Mm -hmm. We'll focus as well on um, provisions. I think that's going to be a big deal. They were loaded up for financials last quarter, right? So let's, Let's see what that looks like. And I think let's ultimately let earnings play out. Okay. I'm going to come back to you in a minute because you have some moves that we need to go through. And Jenny does as well. But Weiss, I want to hear from you because I'd like your take on the same question I asked at the very top as to what your takeaway is from this week. If you feel, as Jim does, that the story, and Jenny as well, that the story is still intact. Despite everything that, that happened this week with the way the market um, you know, sort of came to grips with, with where we think mm -hmm. Fed policy is going to be. Again, 
Dow's now negative. S&P is leaking a little bit. We're still hanging on to 4,700, but what's your take? So my take is that uh, the headlines are still accurate. There will be, the Fed will cut. Um, but I had said on Monday's show, before the minutes came out, they're not cutting six times. Maybe they'll do three times, maybe they'll do four. They're not cutting this quarter. They may not cut next quarter. It'll be the back half of the year. Because while inflation is coming down, it's still stubbornly high. The moves in inflation are not what we saw from the real extreme levels, number one. Number two, I don't believe that recession is out of the question yet. I just don't. Well, the ISM services number that comes out today, right. you know, 50.6, I think right. it was, um, makes you wonder what's going to happen to that part of the economy, which manufacturing has been weak. Right. Services has not. Right. Now right. you can't afford you can't afford right. to, to start losing that. Right. And, and I do think you will start. I do think it will start declining. It's been unusually strong for an unusually long time. Let me just, this is what I was talking about earlier, right? You see pre-jobs report, you're 65% odds of a March cut. Right. Um, then jobs report comes out, well, it's a little bit stronger, so it goes down to 57. ISM services, which we're talking about as we speak, comes out barely hanging on to 50, and then you go back up to 73% for March. So we're going to have to see right. how this all plays so, out, but so, nonetheless. To, so to get to 70% uh, to, to achieve those odds, to achieve a cut in in March, I think you need to see more weakness, much more weakness in the economy, because weakness at this point in the economy is really the only thing that's going to get inflation down. So because you're stubbornly, you're not far above the Fed's target. That's not necessarily true. I mean, you're going to find out with the CPI next week if we continue yeah. on trend. Right. To come and lower. I think we will. But again, it's going to be baby steps going forward. It's not going to a leaps and bounds. Wage growth is still there. Now, the jobs number was not particularly strong. If you go through the details, healthcare hiring was strong, and it should be strong because we've got such a void in the in healthcare that you're going to see a lot more hiring. It's going to keep going and going. So overall, look to me, the market we're still going to see tech lead because they're recession resistant, forgetting about the ad spending, etc. Uh, and that's where I like to put my money. So I'll be looking to rebuild those positions. I still have core positions there, but not the size they were. Mm -hmm. So I sold the before the end of the year. Um, I still think that's the place to be because I don't have as much economic sensitivity so, as some of the other areas. Jenny, you said that you agreed with Jim that the story is still intact after this week. But I look at some moves that you made and right. I see what feels to me like a little bit of nervousness about where we're at. Uh, look at stocks that have gone up a bunch, ones that you own, and now you're trimming Uber mm -hmm. for the third time, right? You've yep. sold Iron Mountain. You sold Seagate. Tell me about yeah, these so moves. Don't forget United Rentals, Iron Mountain, Seagate, Uber, as you said. So You this trimmed is, United Rentals. Right, and this is not, not a macro call. This is literally like portfolio management 101. You look at your portfolio, you look at the positions, and you say, what's the opportunity cost of continuing to hold this? How much more upside is there from here? So United Rentals, for example, we first added in 2017 at 77. It's up 600%. Historically, it's traded at 10 times. Now it's at 13 times. So we take it down from the 5-ish percent position that it grew to down to 3%. Ditto for Uber. On Uber, it's a little like more of a fun story, and we can get back to that debate that we had with Brad Gerstner, where you know, where he's saying, look, there's way, way more long-term potential there. I think and I. He's agree not with the him. only one. No, right? he's there are not. many on this show who own it and say now's not the time to get out. That this thing may be just getting right, started. But then, but then there's also analysts who are out there like 
you know, putting $62 price targets on it, $66 price targets on it. And as a, as a portfolio manager, you need to say to yourself, if I only have 10% more upside in this, am I doing the right thing by my clients continuing, continuing to hold that? If I think in short order, I can buy something else that over the next year or two years has 20, 30, 40, 50% upside. Now let's go to Iron Mountain and Seagate where those were full exits. Seagate we bought a year and a quarter ago at 56 bucks. Seagate is really interesting because when I bought it, like everybody hated memory. This is my third time owning Seagate and making a decent return on it. You buy memory when everybody hates it. You sell memory when everybody's positive on it. So the stock goes from 56 to 80, a 5% yield to an under 4% yield. You take your money, you get out. There's limited upside from here. The valuation's right. The yield's down to under 4%. I am quite certain that within the next month, I'll have something in the portfolio that replaces it with a 5.5% or better dividend yield because you know the objective is in this portfolio, right, the equity income one not the one that has the, um, the Uber and the United Rentals, but in the dividend one, it's maintaining this 5% yield or better, so you need to recycle. Iron Mountain I actually bought in 2015, and that's had a, it kind of languished for a long time, had a really juicy dividend yield so I could sit with it, but Iron Mountain, which you all know from the data, the, from sorry, the document storage, right, just like you send your boxes of legal documents, they put them in their warehouses, they've also very quietly, and this was always the investment thesis, in the background been building up these data warehouse centers. Well, this year when data warehouse became extra hot again. This share price was up, um, what was it up? It was up over 40% this year. And now I've got a real estate investment trust with an under 4% dividend yield in the portfolio. And don't forget, that's not qualified dividend income. So even though it's under 4%, it's really worse on an after-tax basis. Same thing here. Maybe there's upside in Iron Mountain. I'm not saying either of these are bad, but they don't fit the strategy. And I think my upside, even just from sitting in cash for or the next month, is probably better on both of these, I've got a nice short list of potentials. I don't know which I'll own, but there are things like UPS, which I've talked about, like Wendy's, like Ford, KeyBank, which I mentioned last week. I don't know which of those will make it in. Maybe it'll be something different. But when I buy those, I will think to myself, there's more upside in that new investment than there was sitting in these. All right, then you'll tell us if you make a move there, mm -hmm. of course. Jason, you trimmed ServiceNow. I did. Which was a huge winner, and I know yeah. how much you like Bill McDermott. Um, yeah. but why trim that now? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, listen, the stock was up 82% last year, mm -hmm. had a very difficult 2022, but what I, what I know is software, enterprise software spend is slowing, right? Um, we have to reposition this name. Again, I, I, I love the story, IT services, they do great work, streamlining workflows, um, and, and the integration, I think their, their long-term story is a lot more growth going forward. But again, when a stock has moved 80 plus percent in a year, it's time to retrim it and, and look elsewhere for other opportunities. So Jimmy, I'll look at, this is a pretty interesting stat we got from the Flow Show out of Bank of America today. Highest cash inflow ever for a first week of the year. Highest ever for the first week I of the year. I <laughs> contributed. You're welcome. In, in what has been a, a rocky week. Now, we'll get more specific in a moment, but what do you make of that? FOMO. I mean, don't you think it's just fear of missing out? Or um, cash? What? It was cash inflow, I thought there right? was cash. I thought there cash was in. Cash, cash inflow. In. You didn't participate. Oh, yeah. Cash raise. I misread cash it. Inflow. Yeah. 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 Cash you inflow. were on the other side of that trade. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Exactly. No, let's just make sure we're talking about inflows into in the equity. Inflow. Inflows. Yes. Okay. So, look, I mean, people, the tone has changed. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but the tone has changed. Mm. 
from the last 22 months. The last 22 months has been how high is the Fed going? How badly will the economy react? How badly will profits drop? We're not talking about that anymore. Mm -mm. Um, we're talking about when will cuts occur? How many of them will occur? And certainly there's a great debate about it. By the way, Steve, totally agree. Six cuts is ridiculous. ridiculous. But the tone is completely changed right now where people are rotating to be back on the balls of their feet in terms of investing instead of rotating to their heels and saying, okay, I'm comfortable in cash. Look, cash still yields whatever it yields, five and a quarter percent. But people recognize, just look at the last two months in, in the stock market, that you can make twice that in two months. And so I think it's as simple as saying FOMO, fear of missing out. And you know what? It's right. There is something to be missed out on here. Yeah, I mean, and it's all going to come down, I guess, twice to earnings, right? Yeah. Um, next Friday with the banks really kicks things off. Wells, uh, Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey uh, is talking about a reverse hat trick. Uh, and he's talking about the introduction of underwhelming guidance to start earnings uh, is likely to remain a near-term net negative catalyst. We're just talking about all the catalysts. Jimmy gave you a list of all the catalysts to keep this thing going and why he's so positive. Um, are, are we taking into consideration what might happen with earnings season? I, I, don't, I don't think we are. I think purely what we saw this, this past week has been people that have been looking to sell for months and just said, I'm going to ride it number one, and then I'm going to delay paying taxes on my gains. So I'll wait to the first week in January, which is why I saw the last day right. of 2023. And, and that's what we've seen happen. So I don't think you've seen any displacement in the optimism. And people are not focused on earnings at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you hear a lot of strategists talk, aside from what you just mentioned, earnings are an afterthought. It's the Fed cutting, it's that the economy strong, et cetera, et cetera. And my view is that the economy is not that strong. Services, sure, but otherwise, no, we've been in a manufacturing recession for a long period of time. I don't see that changing except in industries that are going to be funded by the largest of the federal government. Okay, they'll keep going. So, so what I'd say is that earnings, I think they'll be fine. They'll meet guidance, they always do. You know, even in bad times, 75% of the companies do better. Uh, but I do think the guidance will take a hit. This isn't the quarter where that's going to happen, though. Where the big guy over here—it's going to be second quarter. I, I know is waiting to disagree with you. Yeah. Well, I, it, but on a somewhat minor point, I think people are focused on earnings. At least uh, I am. Okay, I am too. And Absolutely. I think anybody who's running a portfolio—you're professionals. Hang on. You're professionals. Okay, that's fine. Anybody who's running a portfolio is saying earnings better come through. I mean, yeah, seriously, if they don't, then you're right. All yeah. right. And I'll, I'll come on the air and say that to you. Earnings have to come through. We're projecting I'll call you 11 from on air. I'm sure you will. Um, you're projecting 11, 12 percent. The analyst community is uh, S&P 500. Earnings is that a little too year. optimistic? Yes. Uh, he says, yes. Sure I, here's why I think it comes through. All right. Let's just put this together. Three uh, components. One, GDP, real GDP is growing. OK, that helps the top line. And that is cemented by a consumer that's strong. I mean, those 200,000 jobs today, that matters for consumption. OK, the final thing, and this is where I think people are missing things. Margins will improve. Why? Because the PPI, this is subtle, folks, but important. PPI has been much, much lower than CPI. And that is the cost of raw goods. CPI is finished goods, basically. That's where margins improve, is that differential between PPI and CPI. Jenny. So here, here's what I think about earnings. Everyone I know is super focused on them. And I think it's going to be an interesting season to watch because I suspect that earnings do come in. I actually think mathematically we can get to that 11%. And what's going to be interesting is 
In Q1, I expect we see things like we saw at Nike and FedEx, where they make the earnings, but what's behind it was ugly, right? Like headcount, capex reduction, we had to pull levers to get there. Earnings are made, but not because the economy is so strong in the beginning of the year, and, and revenues were good and that supported earnings. But what I think could be really interesting and support not just the consumer, but corporations, which we're not really talking about too much, is as interest rates come down, as energy prices have come down, and they have, don't forget, this time, this time last quarter, oil was at 90 bucks a barrel. Now it's at 72.73. So I actually think that these quiet little things that we're not really highlighting put the wind at the back of earnings and get us to that 11% total growth on the year. I don't think. I don't think that's that spectacular. I think it's a mathematical equation that plays out. I think one of the things we need to focus on with your and my enthusiasm, right, is actually where to be invested next year. Well, and again, I, I really don't want to be at the broad macro look, level. So when look, you see, hold on. So when you see me actually having a spring in my step for the first time in a long time, I'm enthusiastic because of the have-nots. And where I want to focus next year are the companies that don't need three rate cuts to get there. Right, the companies right. that don't need to pull levers to get there. And I think there's a lot of those out there. When we take okay. out that narrow sliver that performed last year, valuations are fine, earnings growth is fine. Fine, I think there's a lot Look, to do with the, the comps are easy for the first two quarters. You had negative earnings for the first two quarters in 2023. So they should recover somewhat. But here's what keeps gnawing at me, is that you can't go through that massive tightening cycle without it really severely impacting the company, you can the country. You can delay it, but you can't avoid it completely. So right. last year was driven by multiple expansion. Mm -hmm. This has to be the year of earnings expansion to support that multiple expansion. Otherwise, that's where you could run into trouble. And that's my concern. I'm not bearish. I'm going to play the names that I'm playing. I do have a lot of cash right now, and I'm looking to deploy it, but in the names that I think can withstand a declining economy. The other question I have, Jason, is whether the market suddenly has an Apple problem because it's the worst mega cap of the week. Yep. Right? It's the biggest stock in the market. Right. right? Three trillion in market cap. It's down five percent. As I said, worst market cap. It's made up nearly twenty percent of the Nasdaq 100's losses this week yep. alone. Yep. Um, you've got a couple downgrades this yep. week, which you don't often see. Maybe you see one here and there. You rarely see two in the same week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we ask this question all the time. As goes Apple, so goes the market, question right. mark? Right. So I think with, with Apple, as it pertains to Apple, it's always a narrative shift. I think, to your point, the largest, largest, largest company in the world, um, you know, revenue, revenue growth has been declining, right? Um, you, you, you have a multiple of 30 times uh, forward, um, you know, with a long-term growth rate of almost 10%. I mean, this is a, this is a spread that's troublesome. Uh, for a lot of folks. And I think all the time when there is volatility in the market, that's when we start to talk about the multiple, right? So the multiple is a problem anytime we start to see some volatility. Well, I mean, when the stock goes up, you know, near 50% 50%. last year, right. when you could make a credible case that the fundamentals of the current periods didn't justify a 50% move. In other right. words, if I told you at the beginning of the year, you know what, Apple's going to have three consecutive quarters of negative revenue growth, but the stock's going to be up 50%, you say you're crazy. 100%. Based on what? 100%. And I, and I think last year, and it, going into last year, um, Apple was a defensive play. Yeah. Right? So oh, now, and iPhones are going to be weaker, and right. smartphones are going to be weak. 100%. And now, this year, again, we're only in the fourth trading day of the year. So let's not 
cast this big story on what 2024 is going to be all about for Apple. But now it's a source of funds, right? It's down five plus percent in the first week. Um, but again, when you look at the multiple, you look at the long-term revenue, you look at the revenue growth and you look at the long-term growth rate. Yes, of course, it plays right into what's what's happened. In I this mean, week. Jimmy, now Foxconn guidance overnight. So yeah, is that another warning sign for the biggest stock in the market we need to, to pay attention to? Yes. I mean, forgive the quick answer, but yes, you do. <laughs> but I always hear um, too but, that but well, Apple doesn't matter to the overall market as much no, as it, it used to. It doesn't matter. I hear that from from you know when I raise the question. That's a, mm-hmm. the comeback from many. Is that in fact true? Um, that's that's where I am. So I mean, first, just some math, right? Stock's down nine percent from its recent high, more or less. S and P five hundred's down two percent from its recent high. Now the S and P is down as Apple's down. I'll give that correlation, but it's not down to the same degree. And and look, this simple math, we know this. If the Mega Seven, the Magnificent Seven, are twenty eight percent of the S and P five hundred, that means there's seventy two percent that's not those names. And I think actually, you're not only seeing it in the last week, but you're seeing it over the last two and a half weeks that there can be a catch up trade. Now, it certainly doesn't help. You don't want Apple going down another 10%, but folks, it could happen. And I said this yesterday, I'm going to say it again. When you get the sort of return, Scott, that you were just saying, what, 48% last year for Apple, or let alone the 200% for NVIDIA last year, you have to accept the volatility that comes with it. There is no free lunch. And I know we're talking about Apple, but I think the comment I'm making is more writ large with NVIDIA last year. July, it goes to 500, promptly sells off 20%, 20% down to 400. People are saying, oh my God. We're going to fill that gap. Then it pops up. I'm not going to talk about the gap. It pops up 25% to 500. Comes back to 450. If you want to play this game of those sort of multi-double-digit returns or triple-digit returns, you have to pay for it in volatility. My advice to people in this regard is not to go say Apple's broken or or sell these Magnificent Seven. But as Jenny would say, because you said it earlier, it's about portfolio management. It's about risk management. Choose your sizing. I'm underweight in Apple because I do think there's a little bit more downside. If it goes down 10 percent i'll probably add to it from there. i'm watching microsoft twice too because it's you know two point two and three quarter billion dollars so it's near three trillion yeah. in uh in in market cap yeah look th- those are great headlines great things to talk about but what i see with microsoft is a is a permanent compounder i love permanent compounders number one number two ai is going to be huge for them it's going to allow them to increase pricing, which, by the way, they've done on a couple of products already. It's going to require new subscriptions uh, to get full access to their AI toolbox. So to me, it's uh, it's the premier uh, AI play out there. Trillion, I meant to say, obviously. Yeah, not, yeah. Not um, so it's... Um, so why not? So is the multiple a little stretch at this point? Yes. Do I see this, the earnings growing into that multiple near term? Absolutely. And by the way, I'm not going to trade around this. The gains are too big. And I'm too much a believer. And where would I put my money in? What's the next best Microsoft? Well, for me, that's Meta. So those are two of my largest positions. And I think that, is, again, the permanent compounders, not that they permanently go up every day, but over, a lo- over any time frame you're going well, to see the stocks higher. But that's not necessarily true, and I, I keep dragging us back to this. It's true with Microsoft. Okay, but not really. You can look at Microsoft from, I think it was 2001 until 2013. The stock was totally flat, and it had had that huge run going into that. So, so what but I struggle with- we know why, with, right? Oh, well, yes, but what I struggle with now, and I mean this like literally as a question, not as, a, as picking a fight. Right. What is the realistic return potential of Microsoft next year and the year after that? 
you know, to me, uh, I would expect them to do at least as well as the market, at least as well. Okay. I don't expect a 100% move again from the bottom like we had, but, you know, it's not the same company that it was, and I didn't own Microsoft Fair during enough. that time. And so if you okay? think the market's going to be up 8% you know, Bomber, Bomber, you know, he's a he's turned out to be a much best, better basketball owner, team owner, than he was a CEO during that point. So you've got somebody in there that expressed a strategy clearly, that has a clear strategy. I mean, how brilliant was it to invest when they did in AI? They've got 13 billion in there. Those are the type of moves I like. I just think it's interesting that they're going to take a break. Subscription model now. Subscription model now, which is, you know, deserves a big premium. Still going to take the break. All right, coming up, portfolio (laughs) plays. A bunch of committee stocks are on the move right now. We have Calls on them too. Retail, cyber, energy, and many more. We'll do the trades next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I got a number of stocks on the move. With committee ownership, want to hit some of those. Costco reported those uh, sales monthly uh, after the close yesterday. Jumped almost 10%. Reiterated by today, Jason Snipe over at Deutsche Bank. You own this one. There it is. Yeah, listen, Costco has been a beast um, over the last year. So uh, what I will say, I love the renewal income stream, you know, from the membership cards. I mean, that has always been a a great piece for Costco ownership and and the growth of the stock. Listen, I mean, e-commerce was up 17 percent as well. You know, sales were up 10 percent. Uh, in the U.S., they're up 7%. In Canada, they're up 13, almost 13%. So they are, they are growing nicely. It's a nice multinational to own. And we, we continue to, to be bullish on the name, especially with, um, you know, what I will also say about the discretionary merchandise. Um, that is also improving. And they have a very healthy consumer that shops there. What about 740 bucks? That's the price target that B of A has on this. Does that make sense to you? You know what, the, the, the drawback, of the only drawback I would say with Costco is it is an expensive stock, right? So, so 70, 740 is somewhat of a stress. If you're looking at retail, though, I believe it is the banner name. It's the one to own. Um, so I'm, I'm comfortable with the price target. All right. Uh, Jenny, Palo Alto named top pick over at Jeffries today. It's a reiteration of their buy price target to 350 from 285. What do we think? <laughs> Because those shares are up a ton, too. Right. I think you'll be unsurprised to know that when we were talking about selling, this is in the growth portfolio. When we were talking about selling United Rental, trimming United Rentals and Uber, the conversation was also at Palo Alto. Why didn't it lead with Palo Alto? 
Why didn't the conversation lead with Palo Alto in terms of trimming? Why, you oh, know what I'm saying? That's a the really stock's good up question. 110% in a year. I think. I think the answer is, like, I don't remember which of those the conversation led with. I well, think, you didn't I think, like, trim it. Why, why not? Why, why it's up 300% in five years. So, so why this is a challenge, it? right? So, so you have a company that when we bought it, by the way, this is wild. We bought it six years ago. It's up 550% when we bought it at this huge, like, 5 6% free cash yield. That's down to 3.7%, trading at 46 times earnings. And so here you have, it kind of goes to Steve's point on Microsoft. You kind of have, like, on the one hand, of anything out there, Palo Alto should be a permanent compounder because we know there is no end in sight ever to cyber threats. And they are at the heart, at the center of cybersecurity protection. So you're struggling with this like valuation, this huge run up. But on the other hand, you have endless demand for their services. And it's just a struggle right now. It's the reason we didn't, you know what? It's exactly the reason we only trimmed Uber. And in See, as you were describing that, I'm thinking Uber. Yeah. It's like endless demand. Right. You know, all, all the other things that, that you said as well. Yes, it has an elevated valuation, yeah. but you're paying up for that. I, I mean, like, check back in a week or two. I wouldn't be surprised if it leaves the portfolio, but it's just it's just not that expensive. I don't want to talk you know, to you anything. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a really hard one. It's a really, really hard thing to figure out, like, you know, what does that 3.7% free cash flow yield become? All right. Does it grow? I'm not sure. Jimmy, um, ExxonMobil and Chevron named top picks at B of A. Uh, a lot of people are trying to figure out where energy stocks are going to go this year, these two stocks among them. Yeah, and to say the least, energy stocks and these stocks were disappointing in 2023. We know that. Um, I do think that energy prices and these stocks are going higher. Now, why is that? For one thing, China, look, it's hard to imagine, famous last words, hard to imagine Chinese growth getting worse. It could, but it's hard to imagine it getting worse. And the government there is talking about things to stimulate the economy. That will be good for uh, global oil demand. What's probably more important is the strategic petroleum reserve, which we're going to spend at least the next couple of years refilling. It's at half the level it needs to be here in the U.S. That's going to place an upward demand on energy prices and on these stocks, if you ask me. Okay, so uh, we're going to get the headlines with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. The Biden administration announcing today that it's preparing military support and aid to Japan after that devastating earthquake on New Year's Day that killed nearly 100 people. Military logistical support, food and supplies are being sent. So far, Japan has rejected offers of aid from other countries, including China. The former Capitol Police officer who came face to face with that violent mob on January 6th is running for Congress. Harry Dunn announced that he's running for Maryland's third congressional district on a platform of infrastructure, mental health, and crime. He called the January 6th protests one of the biggest motivators to run for office. And Tokyo's Tohiosu Fish Market started its first auction of the year with a pricey bid of bluefin tuna today. The 238 kilogram, that's 525 pounds, tuna sold for 100 million yen or 788,000, I think, there in dollars. That's more than three times the highest winning bid at last year's first auction. Makes you want to have a little sushi, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah, it's going to cost you more, though. Bertha, thanks. Bertha Coombs. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Yields are ticking up. Stocks are ticking down. When we come back, betting on a big surprise. The committee laying out their top contrarian ideas. We continue that series next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. 
At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. As you know by now, all week long, the committee's been giving us their contrarian ideas for 2024. We want to continue that today. Jenny, you are first. Yours is what? Commercial real estate, specifically offices. Lean into it. Okay, lean in, but not broadly. Don't go out and buy indexes. I'm looking at a headline right here from the Financial Times that reads, U.S. office owners face $117 billion wall of debt and repayments. Pain likely to be widely spread. If you read that and you think, oh boy, get out of commercial real estate, stay away, you are going to miss some really amazing opportunities because that, it, it is not all created equal. And the devil is in the details here. If you have the patience, skill set, and time to say, I'm gonna put that headline aside and see what's really going on, I would say, look at SL Green, which is in our equity income strategy, look at Boston Properties, which we own for some clients, look at Cousins, which I don't own, but I love. All of those have extremely well-capitalized owners, extremely well-located buildings, Class A buildings. They're the survivors. What you don't want to own is you don't want to own the crummy little buildings. No offense to them, but Empire Realty, for example, yes, they own the Empire State Building, but if you look at their portfolio, the vast majority of it's in the garment district. They're not able to get the rents that these other three kind of gems are. If you look at Vornado, there's a lot, you think New York City office, but you look at it, there's a lot of multifamily in there, there's a lot of retail. They're very different. What you see in New York City, and I'm gonna cherry pick this to make the point, what you see in New York City is quite extraordinary. So you see that 117 billion. But when you dig into an SL Green, for example, last year, they refinanced $3 billion of debt. Almost all of that was done at the same rates that they were at. Actually, one small part of it was done at 3% less than what the previous um, what the previous terms had been. When you think about New York City real estate, right now there's 400 million square feet. Expectations are for 50 million square feet to come out of New York City over the next few years. So actually, supply is diminishing. That puts the wind at the back of, of the Class A, well-located, well-capitalized owners. If you look at the Park Avenue corridor, which is Grand Central Terminal up to 57th Street, rents are actually going up. That is hot, hot, hot real estate. So look at that. Look at look at Cousins, for example. Cousins has Atlanta, um, Dallas, Tampa, Charlotte, amazing properties. Stay away from San Francisco. Francisco, stay away from Seattle, but don't let that headline scare you off. Don't succumb to the negativity of it. Okay, Jason Snipe, bet on biotech. Uh, man, biotech been a tough run, right? Has been a had tough a very slog. Yes, uh, three years down, three percent. Last ten years, it's up only six percent. Okay. So why is it going to be different this year? So. Well, let me let me let me explain one more point that I think is yes, that, that's hard for for folks to kind of get behind in an election year. Price control is always on the docket. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's election year, newsflash, there's election in November, right? Right, right, right. right. So yeah, that both is sides a big, like the tee off on the on the hundred percent. It's a highly year. contested political issue. But what I will say, as it relates to um, the IBB, which I do own, which again has we haven't seen any any real growth there. Free cash flow is starting to grow again. So there there might be some some M and A activity there. Also. So what I what I what I think is interesting, you know, about about the sector as a whole. I know you own Vertex, Jimmy. Um, is pipelines? Pipelines are starting to 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 develop and get stronger. So, so there's less R and D there. I mean, there's been some R and D spending. A lot of that is kind of behind us. So IBB is the one for me. Okay. 
why is my contrarian play for you is you're going to smile more in 2024. <laughs> that's my I'm be, that's my contrarian bet. You're short exit. It's a val- it's a big value play. Yeah, you're, but you're, I'm you're losing, baby. I'm getting in big. Yeah. What's your what's your I'm what's shorting your play that. Here? Uh, I do smile on some shows. For obvious reasons, not this one. My play is energy. So I think energy is going to disappoint. You know, Business Insider did this uh, did this survey and went through 12 investment banks. Energy was the number two most favored sector. So guess what's changed with China? They're the leading EV buyer in the world. That that limits their use of fossil fuels. Number one. Number two. You've got wars to support. So you've got countries like Russia and Iran, which are going to be pumping in more oil than you can can ever use. Number number three. So you're just the, not buying the bounce back. Uh, yeah, I'm, that, I'm not. That some are calling for. Look at oil before 2021, right? It or 2022. For 10 years, it was flat. Look at the stocks now. Chevron, Exxon's, they still haven't done anything over the 10-year period. So I think people are going to be sorely disappointed. It's a market driven by speculators who go one way, then go the other way. And I just think the underlying fundamentals and demand story and the production story are out of balance, will continue to be. All right, good stuff. Coming up, so we got Mike Santoli joining us, and we're going to trade some of this week's biggest winners and biggest losers. We'll do it next. We are back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joining us now for his Midday word. We call it your end of week word, too. I, I suppose. What what's your takeaway from what we've witnessed this week? Well, it's interesting. Everything, you know, from the top down perspective, if you just look at, you know, two percent setback in the S&P 500, a little more than that in the Nasdaq, it seems pretty routine. And the, and the character of the rally late last year did win the bulls somewhat to the benefit of the doubt that this pullback should be healthy. But you also see, I think, the fragility of the conviction levels of people who either want to see the economy remain resilient uh, or those who who feel as if the best bet is to have a more uh, early and rapid easing cycle. So I don't think we resolved anything of that. It's interesting. You could have had either narrative this morning is the market seizes upon good news, a strong jobs report, and it bounces off the lows. Uh, Then you had the weaker uh, ISM services. People say, aha, market really wants bad news till we get uh, a sooner ease. Well, now we're flat. So it's it's sort of enough to confound everybody. I still think it's a low volume kind of sell the winners response from late last year that might morph into something more if uh, if you know, if we don't get any reassurance that uh, that that growth seems OK for the first quarter. I mean, we really loved, you know, the 10 year going below four percent. Yeah, we don't love so much when it's back above it at 403. And it's been a steady climb this morning, albeit not you know, that much. But nonetheless, yeah, we are back at 403. I mean, it's a little bit of a more just like a brushback pitch of of the most bullish scenario. I think four and a quarter matters more. I don't think four percent is a weird or or tough to absorb level if we're talking about normalizing toward four percent GDP, nominal GDP, which is two percent real, two percent inflation. That's where the 10 should probably trade. Corporate spreads have been really tame here. So I don't think alarms are being set off, but it does show the sensitivity we have. We're just retracing stocks and bonds back to the December Fed meeting levels. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Mike, thank you. That's Mike Santoli. Coming up, dividends in danger. One firm raising the red flag for 2024. Already a rough year we're coming off. So we're going to debate that next. How about this from Wolf today, Jenny? I'm looking at you. We expect to see more dividend cuts in 2024 as economic growth slows. Now, I mean, Wolf's been more negative than most over the last six to 12 months. We know that Walgreens cut the dividend this this week, right, for like the first time, I think, in something like 50 years. Yeah, but it's been expected Stock for like a decade. Stock got smoked. 
How are you thinking about this? I think it's a silly comment to make. What we saw at the worst of the pandemic was Goldman put out a report that basically said the same thing. Short 11 months later, they are like, oh, dividends are wonderful. If you look to history, there's no precedent for companies broadly cutting their dividends. You see dividends growing from $485 billion in 2019. Next year, they should be $614 billion. Every single one of those years, including during the pandemic, you see dividend growth overall for the broad market. If you look at our portfolio and want to use that as an example, in our portfolio, which generally holds 35 stocks last year, we had two dividend trims, not cuts all the way, 14 companies increased their dividends. I think that's more likely. I think there's going to always be a company to cherry pick like Walgreens. For me, the last one was VF Corp. It stinks. But the reality is, is most companies raise, even Microsoft and Apple, those aren't dividend income, but they're dividend growth, right? Even those guys are raising their dividends. So I think, like, I think you never bet against dividends or dividend stocks. Jimmy, you told the producers, quote, I violently disagree with this call. Violently. Yeah, well, I do, because I've been saying this for Watch quite out. some time. Yeah, You know, all Watch of out. these companies that have been hated, these cyclical, economically sensitive companies over the last two years, you know what they've been doing while everybody's been crying recession? is they've been out earning. They've been earning a lot of money. They've been generating free cash flow. They've been, I'm sorry, Steve, I love you. They've been, uh, they've been generating cash along. balances and they've been increasing and implementing dividends along the way. That's not gonna change as the economy continues to grow. All right, up next, two big winners, two big losers for the week. We're trading them next. All right, two big winners, two big losers. We focus on Verizon, Jenny, up 7% this week. That's the second best Dow stock behind Merck. You own that. Matson is the other one, MATX, up 6%. It's a U.S.-based shipping company. But you want to talk about Verizon for a quickie? <laughs> so Verizon's about as dull and boring as it gets, right? It's got a 7 and change percent yield. It trades like nothing. Nobody cares about it. Nobody likes it. You know what we were talking last week, and I said, sometimes you don't need a catalyst to do well. You just need to have future cash flows ahead. That's where Verizon is. It's better than owning a bond. There's like, I don't know, low single digit EPS growth ahead. Everybody knows what happens. There's huge economic sensitivity. Everyone uses their Verizon service all the time. Don't look for a catalyst, but just know that if you're getting 7% yield, your money's gonna double every 10 years and you don't really need to worry or do too much about it. Just ride it out. Cruise stocks crushed it last year. Not so much this week. Norwegian's down 10. We're stock in the S&P and then VF Corp is down 9% this week. You sold that yep. just, uh, you know, as we were heading towards the end of December. Right, and that was another one where it was just a gift, right? They announced earnings, they cut the yield, the stock plunged, robotic algorithmic trading, play, like, sent it way down. And then people are like, oh, actually, their cut of the dividend is good for the business. Stock ran up. I thought pigs get slaughtered. I listened to you on Nike, Jim, when you were talking about getting out of Nike, and I thought, same kind of story there. Let's not play with fire. Get the heck out and take your profit while you can. You just got lucky. All right, we'll take so. a quick break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll do final trades. Well, we're going to assess the week that was today on Closing Bell with Courtney Garcia and Tom Lee. Find out what he thinks happens next week. Got a lot on the plate between CPI, earnings begin. So we're going to watch that closely. I hope you join me 3 o'clock Eastern time. Big interview, by the way, on Monday as well. Kathy Wood of ARK Invest is going to be with us. The CEO, CIO, halftime report. That's 1230 Eastern time. So a couple things to look forward to there. Let's do final trades. Stephen Weiss, your first. GXO. So this isn't a hedge intentionally, but it is a hedge. If I'm wrong on the consumer, GXO is the number one independent 3PL, phenomenal, automated, all the big brands, Apple, Nike, et cetera, et cetera. Farmer Jim. CVS clearly breaking out. It's a favor not only of mine, but of Jason's and Surratt's. Okay, Jason. So I like Marriott here. 
consumer discretionary earnings will be very solid this year, and I like Marriott. All right, Jenny, what you got? My other contrarian play was going to be Aptiv from our growth portfolio. Don't bet against EVs. 14 times earnings, 25% earnings growth ahead. All right. So S&P is barely positive. Dow's negative. We'll see what transpires. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.